Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast Q&A edition with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. As you know, guys, Thursday episode is all about getting in and out info that you need, the Q&A episode. And this week's question is a simple one and probably one of the most Googled questions um, in the fitness sphere, and that is how to train your abs. That's not technically in like the top Google questions. I think in the top five, you've got how to get a six pack, but kind of similar. So how to train your abs. This is something a lot of people ask. Um, it's even something that quite advanced people ask at times because sometimes people wonder, am I actually doing enough to train my abs? I know, you know, people said that you just lose, lose fat and then you see your abs, but I've never trained them and maybe there might be a benefit. Um, so yeah, how to train your abs. So basically this is going to be abs 101. And I think the, the first thing to realize here is, is to step back and ask yourself, like I, I always kind of start at anatomy because if you understand anatomy, everything starts to make a bit more sense. So firstly, what do we actually mean when we say abs, you know? Um, and generally it's, it's fairly obvious like that people don't just mean rectus abdominis. Like what people mean is their whole midsection, okay? And that whole midsection is made up of the most obvious muscle that people associate with the abs and that's the the rectus abdominis. And that muscle basically runs down from the bottom of your rib cage and goes down to basically your pubic bone, you can say. Okay. So down around your genitalia. So it runs all along the front, the front there. And it's going to vary between individuals, you know, in terms of how that is actually, how that's actually built, you know, so your, your genetics influence your genetics and your development and your embryology influence how that those abs are actually going to look. So some people like, because the, the way that those muscles are built, the rectus abdominis, like they're basically little kind of like bundles of muscle within a fibrous sheet. So within this one big tendon, basically um, you could say, so you can just kind of think of them as these little balls of muscles that are in this tendon. And that's going to differ between um, individuals. So some individuals have a very obvious, um, very obvious six bulges or eight bulges or even you know 10 in some cases and um, some individuals will have perfect symmetry between left and right and some will have slight variations in terms of the left being a little bit higher or lower and that that's for me personally like there's a very clear difference in where those muscles are situated left and right and that's pretty much the result of you know the way that you developed your genetics etc um, that have led to the, the muscles to present that way. That's just how they insert. That's how they're built. And changing that overall shape isn't something that's necessarily uh, possible. Like you can change it slightly in terms of like muscle bulk, et cetera, um, but not really going to change too much. So that's the first thing is to realize that that rectus abdominis, that's the muscle that kind of gives the six-pack look or eight-pack look or four-pack look. And basically, it's the way that those muscles are sitting within that kind of sheath, that tendon, the sheath, um, that's what gives the the look to those bulges and that that varies between individuals. So Just once you understand, you want, go ahead. Is it possible to have no packs, like as in one pack? Because the only reason I say this is because that is what Dwayne The Rock Johnson always says. He's like, Just I don't, don't have like six packs, you know? Um, I don't think so. Like, I don't, I don't know of, of, I don't think I've, I've ever come across any case where it's actually just one, 
muscle sheath without any differences <laughs> but there are certainly differences in terms of like um how how like 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 the same with a bicep like whether or not there's a big muscle belly like this also uh, is, is is the same when it comes to the actual abs um so i don't actually know um the only but, reason we really asked that was because like first of all i know we're going to say it later, <laughs> people just need to get leaner and they will yeah. become more prominent and obviously like if you have a situation where the delineation between those packs mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call them those muscle bundles is quite low and what i mean by that is like the actual bulk of the the uh, bundle muscle bundle there is not really like prominent to me that you, you could that could be a situation where you even train your abs but they just don't they're not prominent like that and yeah. um, it can still look like you don't have a six-pack but it probably would get to a stage where you look like you have a six-pack if you were down at three percent body yeah, that's 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 the key. That's the key thing here is that like when we're talking about these kind of muscle bundles being within this like fibrous sheath, like if you just have very low muscle mass and they're just not really well trained, or maybe the tendon the sheath happens to be a thick, bit thicker in you, then it's just a case that it can be completely flat. And as a result, you could literally need to be three, four, five percent body fat to even see that. Whereas obviously, if you're if you genetically have you know more of a belly to that muscle or through training you've hypertrophied it tons you're going to see it at a higher level of body fat so it's kind of obvious when you think through it um but yeah i think the vast majority like i'm sure there are genetic anomalies i'm sure they exist but they're very rare and i think it's very unlikely that anyone is going to have um an anomaly where their rectus abdominis is developed as one muscle um without any variation i I don't think that's that's very likely um but yeah so that's the the muscle that you're talking about when you talk about basically the the abs and the function of that muscle is like kind of intuitive like and this is why i always get people to try to understand anatomy is if you think about if you had a string between the bottom of your rib cage so that your little uh, xiphoid process um what do people call that again your solar plexus people call it yeah solar plexus um if you had a string running from there down to um, your willy or your Virchana. If you had a, a string going between those and you shorten that string, what would happen? Those two points would come closer together and hence you'd flex your spine. So you'd do a kind of a sit-up movement. So that's basically what would happen. And there you go. You've deciphered the function of the abs just thinking about right origin, insertion, and a little string between. So that's what those muscles do. They basically allow you to, to bend forward, to flex your spine, to do a sit-up movement or to bring your pelvis up towards you. So that's what they do. And they also play a secondary role along with all the other muscles that we'll discuss in a moment. Um, so before we, before we get to that, the other muscles, you've got your obliques, you've got internal obliques, which are lower down and external obliques, which are higher up. They both basically have the same function of rotating your spine. So they allow, they allow you to, to rotate. So if I'm turning to the left um, to look out the window, they're the muscles that contract to produce that movement. Um, so internal and external, the internal are lower down, the external are higher up. The external obliques are basically the ones that kind of give you that, that finger-like, pro- those finger-like projections that you see when people are really lean, as if like there's these finger-like muscles that are sticking into their abs. That, that's basically what you're talking about. The serratus is higher up. That's sometimes confused um, with the external obliques, but that's more so underneath your armpit and higher up. It's, the, it's actually the external obliques that, that dig into your abs. And then the internal obliques are lower down. Um, and, and they're kind of the main superficial muscles that you'll see. So they're the, they're the rotation ones, the rectus abdominis are the flexion ones. Um, if, you think about, if you think about the obliques and the fact that 
they can rotate you um, from one side to the other. What you also have to think about is what if they're all working together? So if you're, if you, if you have the muscles um, that are turning you to your left and the muscles that are turning you to your right working at the same time, the result is that they also help you to, um, to flex like your, your abs do normally. So if you are doing a sit-up type movement, you're also training your obliques because they have um, different functions when working together versus when working um, in isolation. So that's important to understand too, I guess. And then you've got your, your muscles like your transverse transversus abdominis, um, which is basically an, an internal muscle more so. Um, not necessarily giving an external look, but it's kind of responsible for um, holding everything together, you could say. Um, it's like a big kind of uh, big, thin muscle that's also responsible with all the other muscle groups for increasing your intra-abdominal pressure. So if I want to tighten my abs and I want to push my organs back, um, transverse abdominis is important. Um, as it relates to that. So they're the main kind of muscles that you're talking about when you talk about the abs. Um, you've got lots of other muscles that work in conjunction with those um, for function, um, but they're basically what we talk about when we talk about the abs. So if you think about all that put together, um, those muscles all work together as a unit a lot of the time. So one of the things that people think about when they first start to think about training the abs is it's all like isolation. How do I isolate these muscles? And then you'll have another school of thought, like m many people who are involved in weight training will just say that you don't need to train your abs because basically they're trained in any compound movement that you do. And that's true. And the question I think that, that people fail to kind of answer then is why? You know, why actually is that? Because if I've told you that your rectus abdominis flexes your spine, your obliques are responsible for rotation of your spine, then it's kind of like, wait, you know, when I do squats and stuff, I don't do either of those things really. You know, I might do, I might flex my spine a little bit, but it's, if anything, it's unintentional if I'm doing that. And the reason for that is because when all of those muscles work together and they all contract, basically what they do is like, think, if you think about your, your abdomen, so your kind of stomach region, like from the bottom of your rib cage um, down to the bottom of your pelvis, you think about that as like a, a cylinder, okay, or like a balloon. And that cylinder, as your abs contract, it basically compresses all the gas and all your organs and everything, but just think of it as gas for the moment, compresses all the gas that is within that cylinder. So it's like a balloon. When you start to squeeze on a balloon and it gets closer to popping as the pressure increases, um, because basically you're compressing that volume, the pressure increases. So basically the, the effect that that essentially has is to make your whole core region, your whole trunk stiffer. So it increases your whole trunk stiffness. So if Paddy had no muscles um, around his abs or around his trunk, and it was just literally a spinal column, you just poke him and he falls over, you know, that that's all just going to compress in on top of itself. Whereas when the abs are contracted and all that gas is compressed and everything is now rigid and stiff, it's very difficult to move that unit now. Okay. So because you've got this... think of it, <clears throat> the way I think of bracing, it's like if you try to uh, blow up a hot water bottle, Right, yeah. which is also a very an extremely difficult feat in and of itself. But let's assume <laughs> that you had the uh, physical capacity to blow up that hot water bottle with just your your lung capacity. But anyway, right? So, like, if you just look at that hot water bottle on its own, like, yeah, there's some rigidity to it, but you know, it's very flexible, malleable, moves around, right? But if you blew that up, right, and then put a cap on it, which is when you go <gasps> and you do that Valsalva maneuver, you know, there's this structural integrity now to that hot water bottle you know because you've filled it up and obviously the, the core here in this case is acting as the, the rubber 
of the, the mm-hmm. of water bottle and um, and it's 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 giving that kind of rigidity to the structure yeah absolutely and that's a that's a perfect analogy another one is is um that's a good one a good one when thinking about this is is like a an empty an empty can versus a full can so if you've got a can of coke you can't you can't bend that over in front of itself like you can't just fold it in half whereas if there's nothing in it you can just fold it in half very easily and you can think about that in terms of like a squat so if you have a barbell on your back if you've got no if you've got no uh, no fluid in that can you've got no air in the in your abdomen like you haven't increased that intra-abdominal pressure that's just going to fold you forward just like the empty can whereas when the can's full it's very, very difficult for the, to, to actually do that. So all those muscles, it's kind of counterintuitive, but all of your muscles that are responsible for flexion, typically like in a textbook, they're actually helping you to produce extension force. So that's the result of increased intra-abdominal pressure when you contract all that muscle, all those muscles that actually leads to um, a resultant extension moment, you can say. So it's the same as actually just contracting your back muscles um, against the, the barbell as it tries to push you down. When those back muscles are working along with all the ab muscles and the pelvic floor and your diaphragm, et cetera, all these things together increase your intra-abdominal pressure. And that's basically why your abs actually have to work quite hard during all those compound movements. So basically, it's any exercise where your spine is kind of being heavily loaded and you have to create that compression, you have to create that pressure to be able to withstand that. So that's exercises like squats, like deadlifts, even bent over barbell rows, um, overhead presses, any type of exercise that's basically loading the whole body is going to be training the abs to some degree. And obviously, like any other discussion when it comes to training, there's going to be variations in terms of the response that you actually get. So that's basically like your kind of shotgun approach to training. You know, in the last episode, you mentioned the barbell row and you said that uh, the barbell row is not the best exercise for any one muscle, but it's hitting a lot of muscles pretty well, you know, that, and it's kind of the same case here where you're like this, the, the back squat, the deadlift or whatever, they're training lots of different muscles are they the best exercise for your abs? No, but they are training them. And whether or not you need to supplement that with additional training depends on the response that you're actually getting. So if you're someone who like training, going back to what we said at the beginning, if you're someone who has naturally, you've kind of got flatter abs, you don't really see them. Even when you're lean, they're not partic- they don't particularly stand out, but you want them to be more obvious. Um, and you, you've been squatting, you've been deadlifting, you've been doing all this stuff that people have told you to do but your abs haven't hypertrophied that much, then that's kind of a reason for you to turn around and say, you know what? I could actually benefit from potentially training my abs more. So basically you're using your own experience and your results as feedback. And like any other muscle group, you know, if you want them to be stronger and you want them to be bigger and more visible, train them like full stop. Like we don't tell people not to train their biceps just because they do rows. And it's a very similar kind of case here because you will actually have a lot of trainees who have had a favorable response to training say things like you don't need to train your arms or you don't need to do any isolation exercise, just do these compound exercises. And that will get a lot of people quite far. But if you're trying to you know, bring up those muscle groups because they're genetically weaker for you or whatever, you're not getting a favorable response, then some more direct training is going to be beneficial. So in that case, if you've identified that your abs are not responding as you would like, um, and you're not getting the results that you'd like, assuming that you're not just 
too fat to be able to see them in the first place if it's visible go you know because that is realistically the main barrier in 90% of cases is that people just aren't lean enough um but if you have gotten lean and it's like i've had veins on my stomach but i still can't see my abs then uh that's potentially feedback to say you know what you could benefit um from them being a bit thicker and it's also the case that if your abs are thicker, you see them at higher body fat percentages. So if you're, if we're talking solely about aesthetics, then that is another reason that you could potentially want to train them. So yeah, assuming your goal is in the right place, it is probably beneficial to add in some supplementary um, abdominal training. And then I suppose the question is, what does that actually entail? And what that actually... Before we get on to that, go ahead. the question we have to ask, because this, this is also something that it influences our training methodologies, right? Especially like rep ranges you see being used and stuff without training, which is completely different than you would use with other muscles. You know, people are like, oh, I just do fucking a hundred sit-ups. And they're like, I just, you wouldn't do a hundred curls to try to train your, your arms, you know? But anyway, look, um, if we want our abs to be more visible, right? And I mean this in terms of like all of the, the core structure, you know, we could be talking about obliques, we could be talking about whatever fuck, right? By training them, are we making our waist thicker? Potentially. You know, I mean, like, it is, it, is, it is one of those things where, like, people just like to answer that question by saying, oh, no, your waist just won't get thicker. And, and that's an answer that satisfies people. You know, it's one of those answers that you're kind of willing to take a bit of a, or to tell a bit of a white lie to get someone to do the right thing. And a lot of evidence-based people do that, and it kind of annoys me at times. But, like, your, your abs are going to get thicker and your waist can get thicker, but it probably doesn't matter. Like it's so unlikely to matter as in like the differences you're talking about here in terms of like the, 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 the muscle that you're going to be building are so small. And like, it's not like the muscles are solely growing, like just out like this in terms of like, it's just like, oh, this is pure, just waist thickness. It's like, there's, there's going to be, you know, muscle, muscle that's growing kind of left and right. And yeah, it's going to stick out a bit, but it's, it's, it's just not what you're concerned about when you're concerned about waist thickness. Um, the vast majority of the time. Most of the issue actually comes from people say they, they, people will say, well, avoid compound movements because they're like, oh, they make your waist thicker. Um, and realistically that's, a kind of a, a misrepresentation it's like uh, correlation is not causation but what you'll see is individuals who are really good at compound movements such as squats and deadlifts have really thick waists you know and then you could obviously correlate that and go well obviously these individuals thick waists they got that like causally from yeah, yeah. doing the compound exercises you know and then obviously you're like well, well i'm going to avoid that because they all have thick waists but that's not the the reason the reason is you know, they're good at these compound exercises because they have this fucking bulky tree trunk like core that allows them to stabilize and allows them to, like we were saying earlier on, how the, the core is involved in these compound exercises. It allows them to get better results from these compound exercises because the core is, you know, bulky and thick because of their, their hip structure, because of their rib structure, because of their genetics and stuff, you know? And this is also one of those things which people will say they want to train their abs and make their abs more visible, but they have this idealized uh, view of what it means to be like shredded or have abs. Cause I've seen people that have abs, they're lean, but they still have this like thick core. And that's not this like idealized V taper, like in, in the case of men, like and it's idealized V taper with this kind of like, you know, little V cut down near the, the cubic bone or by the hip bone and stuff. And it's like, 
yeah, you, you don't have that because you just have a thicker, you know, ab structure, you know, core structure, you know, like even though you have visible abs, you still have this bulky core structure. And again, this is one of those things where it's like, you, you can't really do much about that. Yeah. And that, that's such, that's such a key point is that like, you're like, you, when you're, when you're looking at these people, what you have to realize is that like the, the midsection that we're actually talking about, like it's just between the rib cage and the pelvis. And I mean, like if you've got a really large rib cage, which tends to be associated with high performance on these exercises, like bench press and power lifts, you've got that big, thick rib, rib cage, you got big, a big, thick pelvis, you know, these big, massive, strong, robust hip joints and everything. You've got this massive bone structure. Um, then that's not going to put you in a position where you're very likely to have this kind of cute little small waist, but it is likely to lead you to be very strong. And then obviously, as you said, you've got this kind of reverse causation, like what direction are we actually looking in? Um, so yeah, basically like the answer to that question, like is, are you going to make your, your, your waist, is, are you going to make your waist thicker by making your abs thicker or by do comp- doing compound exercises? It's just totally irrelevant and it basically matters for nobody, you know? And, and what you also have to realize is that, um, a lot of the time when you're looking at elite level bodybuilders and powerlifters, like the drugs that they use also lead to uh, changes in their organs and things like that, that could potentially be contributing to changes in the way that the waste actually, um, the waste is actually manifest. Um, especially these days, like you do see a lot of that with the kind of uh, bubble, bubble gut phenomena, <laughs> phenomena um, and stuff like that. So do realize I also, that. Well. I also think that, it is a case of just increased protein or rather nitrogen retention within the gut because of all the anabolics that they're on, you know, cause that is one of the areas, again, we've discussed it slightly previously where like you don't really store protein apart from, you know, actual muscle structure and obviously all the other protein structures within your body. However, recent research suggests that you do store nitrogen for however long, I don't know. Um, I haven't had time to delve deep, deep into the research because you know i am in fourth year of college and i do have that to do and um, but uh you do store nitrogen in your your abdomen so i would posit that you know if you're on a fucking boatload of drugs that help you you know retain nitrogen that might result in a situation where you know your ab structure your core structure is a bit more bulbous yeah and like the other thing that's just fairly obvious is that like taking all of these drugs in particular like things like at the elite level like you'll have people taking things like igf1 and stuff like that really bad for your liver (laughs) like not fantastic for your liver and like one of the kind of hallmarks of liver disease and liver dysfunction is basically ascites or ascites or whatever i'm not sure how you actually pronounce it but the retention of fluid basically within the abdominal cavity um so like you've got all that fluid that's building up in there that is a mass in and of itself and that leads to an increase in waist circumference. So point there being, don't use like the extremes of bodybuilding and powerlifting um, at the highest level where clearly a lot of drugs are involved <laughs> as your, your measuring stick here. <laughs> you know, um, If you're just starting the gym, like you don't have to be comparing yourself to that. Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, when we started to train the abs, you know, you can infer what would be useful based on my kind of discussion from the anatomy. And that's why, again, using anatomy or understanding anatomy is quite helpful. So if you're talking about the abs, you want thicker abs, you want a thicker six pack. It's very simple. You want to find some way to resist flexion okay 
Yeah. Is that what I, is that what I meant? Yeah. Apply resistance against flexion. Yeah. The way I always um, think of it, like you're resisting extension. Yeah, resisting extension. Like I always think of it like there's like a, a man with a rope on sitting on your pelvis, and he has rope attached to your your rib cage, like that solar plexus area. Yeah. And when you're holding, like you're trying to get some extension, you need something to hold that rib cage down. Otherwise, you just go completely yeah. back. So he's holding that that rib cage down and that's where your ab why your abs are working when you are trying to like you know extend the spine hold that barbell you know and obviously the bracing aspect of it at all 100 percent um and then so like think about what that actually looks like in the gym so obviously your basic crunch you know just doing crunches man like they're they're actually quite uh quite effective and and probably like an underrated exercise i would say because obviously like ab training is something that has become like everyone wants to find a new ab exercise and it's quite sexy to have like ab routines whereas if you can lock your feet down under something so place your feet under something place a pillow or two underneath your lower back um it depends on the range you have available like if you have a lot of spinal extension um and that's clearly like your active range of motion is very large and you know the more pillows underneath your back but if you're someone who's like I don't really extend my spines much anyway, like you, you, like one pillow or even just a slight pad underneath the back will be enough. But basically, if you, if you do that, you've basically got a position where your abs are now in their lengthened position, your feet are locked down so you've got some stability. And as you begin to crunch up, you're going to be taking your abs through the vast majority of their range of motion, challenging them throughout that. So it's just a super effective exercise. Um, and the reason I, I say a kind of a crunch is that like the vast majority of, of the kind of ab training benefits are coming. Uh, you're there. You don't have to sit up to get them, you know? So it's not about necessarily sitting up. It's just about getting through that, that kind of flexion range of motion. So if you're doing that type of exercise, really think about like the analogies that Patty was using the analogies that I was using in terms of the anatomy, like dragging your pelvis towards your rib cage. That's what I like to do is like, think about, okay, if I've got, if I've got a string there, running from my pelvis, um, the pubic bone there, I think around your genitals. Um, honestly, look to, to be completely honest, one of the cues I actually use quite often when getting people to think about this um, in terms of uh, trying to engage their abs is to right, try to put your willy in your belly button. You know, obviously don't meet female clients mightn't understand, that, but from my, from my bros, you know, um, put your penis in your belly button or tuck your pelvis up under you, tuck your bum up under you, you know, like, like when a like, you know, when you see a dog and they're kind of dragging their arse along, wiping their arse, it's a bit like that. You're tucking your pelvis up in under you. And that's actually a really helpful way to start to engage your abs. Cause it's like, if you're not a degenerate and you want some <laughs> actually effective cues, what you can just think of is trying to get that bottom point of your rib cage down to touch your pelvis. You know, That's like, I already said that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just let me fucking finish. So all you're thinking of is literally bottom rib cage down to your pelvis, right? So again, looking at other exercises such as a sit up, did you change that position? Like you, you know, obviously a sit up still works your abs, but also it's going to work your hip flexors. And um, mm -hmm. but if you're doing a crunch and you're like, oh, you have to sit up the full way, like ask yourself. Have you closed that position further down? Has your rib cage come closer to your pelvis? And if it hasn't, then you're not working the rectus abdominis. Like that you've fully shortened that. Like obviously they are working, and but you've fully shortened it. So no other shortening is occurring there. So so it has to come from somewhere else, which is the hip flexors, which is another story in itself. Um, but I just want to ask on this, right? Well, first of all, I want to say that like I think football crunches, you know, over football 
pretty fucking key for yeah again apps. another one because you can literally because it's probably more applicable than someone bringing pillows or something into the gym because i know you have like those little ab pad things that people yeah. but they're not really a commonplace around the gym you know but having something like a, a football you can lie back over it and then again keep your hips in place and you know you have your your legs on the ground and and crunch up so you're going through that full range of motion and just focusing on bringing the bottom of your rib cage down to the top of your your pelvis and but before i get on to or that's what i wanted to say before i got onto this question and that is right so if it is flexion is there a difference between my ribs coming closer to my pelvis or my pelvis coming closer to my ribs right and what i mean by that is take that crunch for example i do it on a football you know maybe i can add some weight we'll talk about rep ranges i presume in a second and um, but maybe i can add a weight or something on the football crunch and I, i'm doing that crunch but effectively what i'm doing there is i'm bringing the bottom of my rib cage down to my pelvis right but say i do something like a, a hanging leg raise right now i'm bringing well, for a lot of it is literally again hip flexion you know, you're using your hip flexors to bring the, the legs up but obviously your abs are still working doing that and um, like that is a quote-unquote compound exercise and um, but is there a difference if i and we'll call it development or even looking just at anatomy is there a difference if i bring my pelvis like tuck my pelvis up towards my rib cage i.e bring the top of my pelvis towards the bottom of my rib cage so effectively it's the the same movement is occurring at the ab you know at the, the ab level but they feel different because that movement has come from a different position in terms of the first one came from the top down and the second one came from the bottom up. Is there a difference between those two if the same movement is actually occurring? Yeah, this is a, this is a really good question because um, this is something that actually gets talked about a lot is that like you need to have, you need to have an exercise where you're crunching and one where you're raising your legs. Whereas again, it kind of misses, misses the point in terms of like what we're actually discussing. And the main reasons that people maybe can have different outcomes or feel uh, different perceptions or maybe more soreness in the days after and things like that, mainly the result of um, differences in the magnitude of the resistance. That's the first thing. So how much resistance you're actually dealing with. Um, and also the distribution of that resistance or the resistance profile. So like the, the, the where you're dealing with the greatest amount of forces um, is different. Um, and also things like inertia. So if you've got like, uh, if you're doing leg raises of some sort, or even you're doing reverse crunches with straight legs, like because the resistance is spread out so far from where you're actually working, there's differences in, in, in that exercise as well. So there are different exercise variables there. And if you think about, um, for example, the, the, the straight leg raise, really, really challenging exercise where you're dealing with a lot of resistance, a lot of moving parts. Um, and basically the greatest challenge there is as that muscle is beginning to, to lengthen again. Um, and that's especially the case if you're doing something like, uh, for example, people do leg raises off the edge of a bench, you know, where they hang onto the bench and they, they, they let their legs hang down as, as far as possible. And they're really dealing with the most resistance when the abs are kind of in that more lengthened range as they're really stretching. Um, and as a result, there's kind of more soreness that can come from that. Um, and a, a definitely a different experience versus something like a, a crunch from the ground where you're starting with your abs kind of, you know, in a fairly comfortable position, like they're not that stretched. And then the challenge is in the shortened position. So there are differences for sure between these different exercises. Um, but it's not necessarily that like 
the lower abs are one functional unit and the upper abs are another functional unit. It's more so differences in, in kind of basically the, the perception of the exercise and the results of the exercise because of changes in resistance and changes in, yeah, basically changes in resistance, uh, both magnitude and in terms of the distribution of that in the exercise. But, you know, leg raise variations can be really useful, but there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and that's one of the difficult things for people is, you know, because if you're doing a hanging leg raise, like your, your quad strength, your hip flexor strength, your, your grip strength, your lat strength, all that stuff is also a strong limiting factor. And that's fine. You know, if you can juggle all that stuff, like they're a great exercise and there's absolutely no problem doing them. But if someone is saying to me, you know, my abs are a real weak body part, I never feel them during all these exercises. I might try and create something with a bit more restraint where it's really just nailing in that, that kind of flexion type movement on its own. I'd try to bring that in so that we can be a bit more specific. Just, just with those hanging leg raises, because it's actually a bit of a pet peeve of mine because I think people just don't do them correctly at all. But basically, if... I keep my legs straight because people love to do the, the straight leg version, even though they just don't have the strength for it. Um, if I bring my legs up to 90 degrees, so I'm hanging there and I keep my legs straight. I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking animal. And I bring my legs up to, again, roughly 90 degrees. Have I actually trained my abs, like the rectus abdominis? Like obviously there's bracing involved and stuff like that. But is that actually effectively training my abs or is that more just hip flexors? I suppose we're going to have to just talk about hip flexors because they're fucking involved in everything, but go on. Yeah, that's a hip flexion exercise. You know, I mean, as you're kind of alluding to, there's an indirect challenge involved in that. And that's kind of the case with a lot of these exercises is that the challenge on the abs is pretty much secondary to what you're doing in that if you're doing a straight leg raise like that and you're only bringing it up to 90 degrees, the vast majority of the time, the spine doesn't actually move. And sometimes, interestingly, the cueing that's given is to not move the spine, <laughs> which is funny. Um, so basically, you're doing pure hip flexion and the abs will be working because they have to stabilize you and you're trying to keep your position and that resistance is changing and you're moving and you want to swing. So the abs are working for sure, but it's just a really ineffective kind of way of going about things and, and quite an, an odd way um, of going about things, especially if the rest of your training is quite specific and quite direct. Like that's just a very indirect way. Um, Basically the thing is like a compound exercise works your abs. And I'm like, why would you choose uh, a low return compound exercise? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's kind of like saying like, I am I'm going to train my abs now. Um, what are you doing? I'm doing squats. Yeah just just for abs like not for for your legs like it's kind of the same thing here like your hip flexors um quick kind of 101 so your hip flexors are basically the muscles that are responsible for flexing your hip flexing your hip is basically bringing your leg up in front of you so if you're kicking a ball your hip flexors are playing a key role there so one of those muscles is actually part of your quads so it's the kind of triangular shaped muscle that hangs down at the top it's called the rectus femoris so that crosses the hip and as a result that plays a role um, in actually flexing the hip and that's why you'll feel your quads working a lot of the time during these exercises and then the other muscles involved in hip flexion are basically the iliopsoas so that's kind of made up of the psoas major and the psoas minor and some people um, and then your, your iliacus as well which is kind of within the within the fossa of the uh, the iliac uh, iliac ilium bone i should say of your pelvis but anyway basically that's irrelevant basically the, po the point there being that they're a group of muscles the hip flexors that are responsible for lifting your legs up in front of you so they're working a lot of the time during these exercises and sometimes what can happen is that people actually mistake um, those muscles as well for being part of the lower abs because of their location. Um, they're very close to where 
the 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 lower element the lower part of your rectus abdominis inserts so as a result you can kind of feel like oh this is more of a lower ab exercise purely because of those working as well um so it, it's important to differentiate those but yeah basically what we're trying to do guys is trying to find some way to resist flexion it can be a resist before before we do that just ahead. people will be like why didn't you tell me um if you do want to train you you know, do a hanging leg raise you st- you need to tuck the hips basically you know yeah you're exactly trying- you're trying to target the abs. Like if you think of that, uh, like if you're having sex as a guy, you know, go to the vulgar route because Gary was fucking doing it. Jesus, I didn't want to go this far. You contract your glutes or if you're doing something like a, a hip thrust, you know, and you contract your glutes and your pelvis kind of tucks under you. you know, exactly. That, that's effectively what you need to do if you're trying to do a hanging leg raise. So if you can't do that with your legs straight, you're not training well, not effectively training your rectus abdominis. So a better way to do this would, first of all, have something at your upper back. So if you're going to do them hanging, yeah, hang from that, but have something like a barbell across your shoulder region. So you have something that you can kind of push back into with that, or you can use something like that. I think it's called Roman chair. Um, yeah. So something like that, where you have stability at the, the rib position here, you know? And then what you want to do is, bring the knees towards the chest, right? Because again, if you don't have that huge moment arm because your legs are not fully extended out in front of you, you know, tucking that pelvis under is easier. So effectively just thinking knees to chest, you know, and you, you see this with like CrossFit athletes and CrossFit gyms and stuff where they have that like toes to bar exercise. Like yeah. that's, a, that's a much more effective way to do this. Now, they use a lot of momentum to do that. They're basically like kipping toes to bar um, but if you're trying to effectively like isolate your abs, what you would do is not kip to get your toes to the bar and, you know, slowly crunch those toes to the bar. And if you wanted to progress it, you want to have some progression scheme, start with getting your knees to your chest. And once you're able to do, I don't know, 10, 12 reps with that, what you can do is bring your knees to your chest and then extend your legs out. Mm-hmm. Um, so they effectively touch the bar, you know, so straighten your legs and you can progress the straighten, straightenedness out of those and on the eccentric allow them to come down so you're building that you know it's a it's a stronger challenge in the eccentric challenge because you've increased the moment arm with that and hopefully that'll eventually build to you being able to do strict toes to bar without a lot of kipping involved 100 percent um, and then the, the other thing that probably comes up in this discussion a lot of the time is uh so what's the story with planks you know, and basically, if you think about what a plank actually does, is a plank is basically just you holding that position um, of like as if you're going to go into flexion, but you're just doing an isometric. So it's just an isometric. So you know, it's it's um, a plank is is to a plank is is to kind of normal ab training as like doing a uh, let's say doing a dumbbell bench press and just holding the dumbbells kind of in the middle, you know, you're just holding that for 60 seconds or whatever. So there's nothing special about planks. It's just that they just happen to be really convenient and accessible anywhere you do them. Um, and you can actually progress that in a similar manner to the way you progress any exercise by basically adding weight. Um, and one of the things to note here, it's kind of a pet peeve is that when people do weighted planks and they're like, Oh, I'm doing weighted planks with 80 kilos. If the weight is on your upper back, it's basically zero. Okay, so it's doing nothing. It's that's where you should put it for push-ups. But if you're doing planks, put the weight like on your ass or on your lower back because that's where it's going to be challenging. Because I have seen people do that. Yeah, if you're if you're doing planks, like 
if you basically go into full spinal extension, you know, and your rectus abdominis are, you know, pretty much doing nothing. Yeah, they are obviously fully lengthened, well, fully to whatever extent lengthened. Like you have to actively contract your abs is what I'm saying. You have yes, to actively, actively engage. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, I can just get into this fully length, like using Gary's example there of just holding dumbbells. It's not like it, it'd be more appropriate for like a, a barbell bench for, for this one. You know, it's not like I'll yeah. just let the barbell rest on your chest, on my chest and I'm, I'm doing an exercise, I'm exercising, you know? that's effectively what you're doing if you let your your abs sag out when you're when you're doing that exercise you know like you can't just get into this fully fully or however fully lengthened position and then you know not contract whatever but even if you got into that position and contracted as hard as you fucking could you know we could argue that there's some some training effect there but you would probably get dragged back into that mid-range position then and basically you have to be active in this Yeah. And if you want to get the most from it, like what I cue people to do is like, firstly, do as we said previously and squeeze your glutes hard and imagine you're tucking your pelvis in under you. Um, But the other thing that's really, really nice here is imagine you're trying to bring your elbows and your toes towards each other. Okay. So dragging your elbows down like you're doing a lap pull down um, and dragging your toes up towards you without actually moving, obviously. Basically what that does is force you to create all of that all of that tension kind of anteriorly on the, on the front of the body. Um, and it's a, it's a really nice exercise in that sense. And it's also a nice way to kind of increase your kind of hollow, hollow hole strength. You could say, you know, if you're trying to improve your push-ups and kind of get those more gymnast like push-ups where you're kind of getting that hollow body strength, um, they're actually a nice way to kind of replicate that as well. So, so yeah, they're, a, they're a good exercise, but just, you know, treat them like any other exercise and don't just say, Oh, I'm going to see how long I can hold this position. Like make it hard, you know, make it hard for yourself. That's, that's the goal is to get an adaptation. And then, you know, when it comes to the, the obliques and training the obliques, basically they're going to be working, as I said, um, in any exercise that you do from a flexion perspective. So whether that be the crunches, whether it be the leg raise variations or whether it be using a machine or a kneeling cable crunch, I forgot to mention probably my favorite ab exercise, um, really, really good exercise. So whatever exercise you have chosen, your obliques are going to be working there. Um, but there's also a case for actually training spinal rotation in and of itself because you want to you know, build strength in, in rotation, um, especially if you're doing a sport that involves that, there's potentially merit there. Um, and also there's other muscles other than just the obliques involved. So any exercise where you're training rotation, like the, the, the kind of quick answer here is, oh, use a uh, Cybex or Atlantis trunk rotation. But like, in, especially in Ireland, like we just don't have those types of machines in many gyms. Um, so yeah, there's machines out there that are unreal for just nailing your obliques, you know, nailing that rotation movement. If you have access to them, by all means, please use them. Um, but there are other ways you can do it. You can use uh, different cable setups to try and train rotation. So for example, if you've got a, a cable in your hands, you're sitting on a bench or you're standing even, you know, one of the things that people will have called them before are wood choppers, you know, kind of wood chopping type motion, like when you're just standing, there's a lot of moving parts there. So I like to get people sitting, try find a way that you can kind of get stable and really kind of slow down the movement is a nice way to do it. But there's not much of a point in getting into all the specifics about that here on the podcast because you need to see these things. But basically, the way that you can challenge rotation um, and get stuck into it. You know, the Russian Russian twist is a, an, an exercise that's been, always been popular when it comes to the obliques because it's basically that rotation type movement. I like those exercises like that. But what I say to people is that, 
the goal is not just to touch the ball off the floor. <laughs> what a lot of people do when they do this exercise is, if you're just listening, right, what people do is they get the medicine ball, they just move their arms and they just touch, touch it either side. The goal with an exercise like a Russian twist or any oblique exercise is to turn as far as you can at the spine. So if your hips are locked in, your legs are locked in, imagine you're trying to turn your chest as far away from that direction as you can. And just do it nice and slowly. Um, and that's basically how you start to, to execute those movements. Um, but yeah, the way I look at it, when people start to train their abs, and if they, if they want to make it a more specific thing, pick one exercise for flexion and one exercise for rotation and you're grand. You know, you don't need to complicate it much, much beyond that. Find the ones that feel good, that work. Maybe have a bank of exercises you can change, change up over time to keep it interesting. But it's really, really not a complicated uh, process. I have nothing else to add. Fantastic. Um, in that case, you know, Wait, just, to, just okay. okay. To finish this age, we did touch on it, but all of this discussion is irrelevant if you have body fat to lose. Like, it doesn't matter how many reps, we didn't touch on that, we need to, and um, doesn't matter how many exercises you do, how many reps you do, whatever. It doesn't matter how unbelievable of a burn you can get on your abs if you have excess body fat that's covering your ab structure, like you're not going to be able to see them. So that is realistically the advice that the vast majority of people need to adhere to, to see their abs. Like most people have some sort of visible abs. They just have fat covering them. So if you want your abs to be visible, like, you know, in a bikini or on the beach or whatever, you're going to have to lose some body fat specific to your ab area now as with all of that discussion that we've discussed previously like there's a genetic element to it so maybe you <clears throat> store your body fat on your abs that's unfortunate you're just going to have to get leaner if you want to get them more visible and this is the case for guys a lot of the time because storing fat on your abs is more of a, a male fat distribution pattern and um, whereas females it's usually the the lower half and um, so like for females, like they can have fully visible abs and be 30% body fat, you know? Um, whereas for guys, usually that's not the case and they have to get down very low to have their abs be visible. However, and we have discussed this before, you will also see individuals that just have, we'll call it really favorable fat distribution patterns and they'll be male and they'll still have high body fat, but their abs will be fully visible. And again, obviously that gets idealized. People are like, man, this guy was bulking and he, he stayed so lean when in reality his legs got fat, his back got fat, his face, his neck, his chest, everything got fat. But just genetically, he doesn't store fat on his abs. So it looks like he stayed really lean because that's what you associate with being lean, visible abs, you know? So there's a huge genetic component to that. But again, you can't really control your genetics. So what you can control is how much food you put in your mouth. So that's the thing that you control. And as a result of controlling that, you lose body fat and you reveal whatever it is that you can reveal, like get as low body fat as you feel is or deem appropriate for your, your goals and obviously your lifestyle, et cetera, um, and get those, those abs popping, right? And do you have anything to add to that, Gary? Only thing would be like, you're absolutely allowed to have a goal here that does not involve body composition, like for example, like the abs and the obliques and like rotation strength and everything can be really important in some sports, you know, um, and even in, in some functional tasks, you could say everyday life, everyday life, depending on what you're doing. So um, 
absolutely you can still train your abs without even ever worrying about seeing them one honey yeah um but yeah so obviously again like we're not saying that you need to have your abs to be visible to be validated as a human i really couldn't care less if you have abs or not realistically most people wear clothes that cover their their midriff for 90 percent of their life so realistically it's irrelevant um, however if you do want to reveal those abs and you you know want to put that as part of your your goal set and um, then you're going to have to probably lose body fat for most people right now we didn't touch on it we need to quickly touch on it gary rep ranges for abs are we doing 50 100 a thousand reps or are we treating it like any other muscle group that we would train and progressively overload in a probably more we'll call it a lower to moderate rep range yeah so for me when I, with abs on i i rarely touch um rep ranges as low as i might on other muscle groups but it's not because of any mechanistic reason it's purely practical you know so yeah you know we were talking about all these all the exercise all the exercise we brought up you know imagine imagine like trying to do sets of three like crunches and stuff it's just not really practical you know like you can try really really weak yeah or you're or you're using like ruthless tempo you know that can be a super helpful thing is like you're doing like six one six one crunches or something like yes three three reps of that is going to be absolutely ruthless but for the vast majority of the time i'm probably somewhere between eight and 20 reps when i'm when i'm programming for abs but it's mostly because of of practical reasons it's not because you need to do higher reps for abs like if if anything i think the arguments i would have i've i've heard in favor of fiber type specific training for abs would probably favor lower um, repetitions. Um, however, I'm not massively familiar with the fiber type distribution of of ab of the abs. How that varies between individuals and how it varies. It makes more sense that they would be like moderate to more endurance type because you know they act state stabilizers. If you want to call them that. Um, yeah, but I I'd even I'm not re- not familiar myself. Yeah, like I'm 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 pretty sure I I think that the the rectus abdominis themselves have maybe above average fast twitch composition but i'm not 100 sure and even also, in that yeah we should just say that that probably isn't even something that i would yeah do. that's what i'm about to say is like it just doesn't matter <laughs> like to, to be honest like the like listening to arguments um for for training for hypertrophy based on fiber type it probably doesn't matter you know it just probably doesn't matter at all like to be honest you just need to uh get close to close to failure on a reasonable repetition range somewhere between five and 30 probably most of the time and you'll be fine and that's the exact same for abs that's that's how i think of it um i think you know a lot of people just do sets of 50 and stuff like that because they feel the burn and they kind of like that feeling uh but but yeah just same old repetition ranges really people will use like <clears throat> set structures um and effectively just get a, a metabolic stress like they'll do 50 crunches into 50 hanging leg raises, hanging leg raises. And it's basically just working the same muscle group. And yeah, you get this like 10 second, you know, rest in between. Um, or people will do stuff like, Oh, I just do really, really short, uh, you know, rest periods in between my ab training. Like I do, you know, a set of 20 and I rest 10 seconds and I do a set of 20. And basically they just end up doing like rest, pause training for their abs, you know, or myo reps or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I would just do normal 
resistance training protocols, you know, we'll say again, that kind of five to 20 rep range, you know, maybe even a little bit higher for abs, just from a practical perspective, you know, it might be a little bit easier to do that. And what I mean by practical, like say you're doing a, I know a cable crunch, like Gary was saying there, like it might be impractical for you as a, I don't know, 60 kilo individual to who is strong enough to do the full stack on the, the cable machine. We'll say it's 120 kilos, like having 120 kilos pulling you back. Like it's just impractical. Like it, it, you just can't resist that effectively. Like other things start compensating, you know, whereas doing 30, 30 reps with, you know, 30 kilos, like it's a little bit easier to manage just practically speaking. Um, but yeah, That's all I have to say, bro. That's all I have to say. So let's wrap this up, Gary. Sweet. So as you know, guys, you can get involved with the triage boys and girls by getting involved in the triage method community. So Facebook group, free access on Facebook. Uh, you can get involved there, have some discussions, chat with us, ask questions, etc. Also join the newsletter, triage method newsletter. You can find that linked below goes out every Sunday, useful resources and a catch all of the content that we have been producing. Um, we do have coaching spaces available, both online one-to-one and group coaching. So if you're interested in those do get in touch, um, the eBooks and program templates in the bookstore, check them out. You know, if you have a bit more reading time, you want to kind of learn, learn some more about the training process. There might be some stuff in there of use to you and then follow us on our socials, of course, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube in particular, I would recommend. And finally, I highly recommend that you guys subscribe to the podcast. Um, leave a review if you'd like, unless it's a scathing, awful review, in which case I don't, don't want to hear it. You know, <laughs> leave the five stars. <laughs> I'm only kidding, but give us feedback in private or just review the podcast. That's you can do that. Even if it is a zero star, I don't think you can give zero stars, but a one star. Yeah. Know. I don't really care to be honest. I used to yeah. do this every week and I hate it. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> it's farm by us. And um, yeah, I have nothing else to add except, you know, with all this training stuff, like it can be very, theoretical and seem kind of like esoteric and you know you're like well, like what is this like a lot of this stuff you need to kind of visualize it so you know get onto the youtube channel and look at the exercises like there's obviously a fucking fuck ton of uh articles on the website that go into the whole training process goes into you know reps sets you know the actual rationale for all this stuff and and over the summer gary will be writing more stuff in the anatomy and all that kind of stuff. What's the name of that, that section of your, your training uh, thing? It looks like Gary froze. So I don't, I'm just going to leave it here. Either way, there is a, an anatomy section on the website. So if you are interested, interested in getting a better knowledge and understanding of the, the training process and get on the website, get on the YouTube channel and it's all there. Anyway, 